Hey guys, I'm Waldorf. Hey everybody, I'm Statler. And we're the Film Flamers. <laughs> I'm glad we've come to that conclusion. Yeah. Thank you for sending that gif. Which one is uh, Waldorf and which one's Statler? I've forgotten. Doesn't matter. No, I guess it doesn't. I mean, they're both crotchy old men. Yeah, so I am Chris. And I am Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. That's right. <laughs> we are the same. Four years, we still can't get this intro right. <laughs> Keep trying, though. That's all that matters. I mean, until we have our own private balcony, we can't be Waldorf and Statler, but I feel like that's coming. They don't have private balconies at the Overlook Film Festival, do they? No. They need one, though. They do. Perhaps we'll partition. Well, we've got a doozy of a uh, Shooting the Flames episode for you to kick off April. That's right. I was scrolling through everything, and it seems like some of our comments and emails and questions and such and such are wordy. A little bit. I love it. I love someone who's verbose. Well, I feel like I'm sometimes verbose, so I mean, I should let other people do it. I should let other people talk sometimes. Yeah. Or just me talk the things that they've said to us in written form. I'm going to jump on that train when it comes back around again. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have a new review. We do? We Read do. It. The infamous Nico over on Apple said, this podcast rules I listen to a ton of horror movie podcasts and I'm pretty discerning. These guys never fail to deliver. They are always incredibly thorough and insightful, not to mention hilarious. This podcast probably gets my sanity question more than any other due to its ability to make me bust out laughing for seemingly no reason in public environments. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Keep up the fantastic work, guys. I love it when people say that we make them laugh. That's like the second or third person like recently, I think, that said that... They listen to us in public <laughs> and the people stare at them because <laughs> they're laughing <laughs> or they like start commenting. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Talk to themselves. And they go, yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm glad that we elicit those kinds of responses. <clears throat> also, are we just extra funny these days? Is that what it is? Uh, probably not. We've always been funny. I think we have just enough of a catalog where they're able to like, I don't know, cherry pick the... <laughs> The few, <laughs> the few diamonds in the rough there. The few, they're all diamonds. Well, thank you for that review, the infamous Nico. We really appreciate that. And if you guys would like to leave us a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just leave us a five star rating and tell us why you like us, and we're going to read that on the next Shooting the Flames, like we did Nikos. And we have a lot of comments, and we're going to start with uh, comments from our deep dive into 28 Weeks Later. Glazed Donut over on Patreon said, 28 Days Later is one of my favorite zombie movies, but I didn't get around to seeing the second one until now. I made it a double feature, per your advice. and yes. I Thank you. And I agree with basically everything you two said about the ridiculousness of the sequel. 28 Days feels so punk rock, from the way it was shot to the music and hairstyles. If someone told me that 28 Days Later was made by a group of young, horror-loving friends with no money... I would believe it. 28 Weeks Later felt like a bigger budget film and therefore didn't contain the intimacy I tend to like with my horror. I didn't get enough time with any individuals or the central family, so I couldn't find anything to like about the characters. Same. I don't even think I saw the family unit together at any point of the film, while in the first film you saw four characters come to be a family unit. 
Also, shopping in an empty grocery store with no one around replaced my teenage fantasy of shopping in an empty mall with no one around. With the second film, I felt at times like I was watching a video game, especially during the gun shooting scenes, and that caused me to feel even further removed from any emotional attachment. There is something about people in uniform shooting civilians that leaves a bad taste in my mouth now, especially if the film is just trying to drive up its body count. I'm the mother of a tiny crotch <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't read this before I had to read it now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Clay's Donut. (laughs) But I'm also a horror fan. (laughs) While watching a horror movie, I want the horror. I tend to not worry, I tend to not worry about or become attached to children in horror because their acting can be rough, and I know their character will usually survive. Although one of the greatest moments of The Walking Dead, probably in its greatest season, focused on Sophia making a stupid mistake and paying the ultimate price for it. That set up The Walking Dead for a check. It ultimately could not cash. Needless to say, I wasn't a fan of 28 Weeks Later, but I'm willing to give another sequel to Danny Boyle a try. Danny can just pull a Halloween and pretend like the other sequel did happen yeah i think we're ready for that too we we warmed up to the idea of another one yeah i i would like to see where it went especially if it was danny boyle right so yeah we um, mentioned that in the episode like we'd be on board if it was the original cast and the original creators like alex garland coming back to write and things like that yeah even imaging poots can come back for all i care but yeah i mean just bring back that original team and make a better movie So we're actually now getting some comments on Spotify randomly. So Spotify just launched a feature where I guess they're asking people how they thought of the episode after sometimes they listen to it. And so they just automatically turned that feature on starting like uh, the shooting the flames March, I believe. And so our first two comments are actually for 28 weeks later. And so the first one comes from uh, someone named night musique and they're on Spotify and said, I will never understand why they didn't lock down the complex. They search for the infected Don instead of herding residents into the basement when Don is on the loose. So I feel like that's exactly what what happened is they herded them all into the basement and locked the yeah. doors. And then Don but they came didn't in. but they and maybe that's what they're saying is that they didn't lock down the complex itself. They just locked down the people and then let Don go where the fuck he wanted and come in the back door. Like it didn't make any sense. That's just very indicative of that movie though. You yeah. Know? The whole movie was just bad choice. Things after bad happened choice. because they had to happen and not because of human reasons. That's right. Because no one would make those choices in real life, probably. I mean, or maybe they would. And that's why the world is what it is today. So the other comment that we got from Spotify is from Fred. De Laurier? I don't know. <laughs> Fred, <laughs> Fred De Laurier. <laughs> Love it. I like 28 Weeks Later, and you are right when you said that all the characters are really stupid. Oh my God, those kids are not likable at all. All for that picture. Ha ha ha. I can't believe it. Burp. LOL. (laughs) Someone listened to the outro. (laughs) It was a funny burp. It was. (laughs) Oh God. I'm glad I'm getting all these comments. They're like making me laugh while I read them today. (laughs) I'm just going to say that from now on when I have to burp. (laughs) Burp. Lol. Burp. Lol. (laughs) From our deep dive into 28 Days Later, at Jamie Not James 77 from Instagram said, Great episode, as always. By the way, I'm British, and I love the terrible accents. Do it more. Okay. Okay. Like, no, that's not even close. What the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> we will, Jamie Not James. 
<laughs> Never tell you get. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pemberley, Memberley. <laughs> You know what that means. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. It sounds British. I would say it again. <laughs> Pimberly Wimmer. <laughs> Macintosh and Muggle Bones. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Couldn't have picked a better name. <laughs> Macintosh. It's my Muggle favorite Bones. moment, I think, from the, like the last episode. Which was actually funny. Yeah, it was a really funny episode. Because you were <laughs> you didn't realize that was the actor's name. I thought you made like, it. That's like my dog's name. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna name my That's what I'm gonna name my puppy. <laughs> what did I say? Macintosh Mugglebug, you come here right now. <laughs> that episode was fucking hilarious, surprisingly. Although maybe not surprisingly if we didn't care for the movie. So <laughs> Uh, Battle Burrito over on Patreon said this movie poster remains one of the scariest I've ever seen. 13 year old me was absolutely terrified of this movie. Good age to see it for being terrified. Yeah. This is before his recollection or realization that fun and horror could be synonymous. And And so this is kind of a wet and rich salad of a movie. And so, yeah, I can definitely see that uh, it would have been scary, certainly for a 13 year old. And Battle Burrito, you continue to make me feel very old. Thank you. From our Shooting the Flames back in March, Nikki over on Instagram said, Yes, I love hearing comments from my big brother and oldest child on your podcast. (laughs) And we like that y'all are keeping it in the family. Right. And we got more from both her and her brother. Love it. Yeah. Uh, At the Jamie Grayson over on Instagram said, How have you not seen Cujo? D. Wallace is fantastic in it. Move that up on the priorities list. Well, we're going to do more Stephen King, I'm sure. You know, and so that's going to happen. No, I definitely want to do Cujo. I love Cujo. Yeah. So it will be happening. Yeah. We're going to have to do Christine and Cujo. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I have not seen either. That's right. And they both start with C. Yep. So, I mean, who needs a better reason than that? Yeah. Is there a month that starts with C? No. I guess guess we can't do it. Karch. I don't know. (laughs) Karch. Okay. February. (laughs) (laughs) December. Wait, that doesn't work. Wow, this is dumb. Um, <laughs> Bennett over on Patreon said, first off, thank you for naming this month's Shooting the Flames episode after something I referenced in my comments. And I believe that was jingoism. Mm-hmm. That was pleasant surprise. Secondly, I hate to admit it, but Pearl Harbor is one of my guilty pleasures. It's ridiculously long by one whole hour, but it still features great visual effects, a decent score from Hans Zimmer, and most importantly, my first big celebrity crush, Josh Hartnett. Mm. However, it was, I just love him from Penny Dreadful. Um, however, it was not released after 9-11, like you mentioned, but on Memorial Day weekend in 2001. It was the first big summer movies of that season, and there was some anticipation for it. I remember eagerly waiting to read Roger Ebert's review of it in the, in the paper the day it came out and being shocked to learn that one, it was over three hours long, and two, he only gave it a one and a half stars. Then I remembered it was done by the same schlockmeister who directed Armageddon, and my disappointment was real. I thought, fuck it. I'll wait till it comes out on DVD. Of course, when it did in December 2001, to coincide with the 60th anniversary of the infamous attack, it was after 9-11. There was a video review in Entertainment Weekly pointing out how tragedy completely changed how this movie would be viewed from then on. Basically from just being a silly piece of shit delivered in a glossy coating to a giant pile of shit infused with a frightening amount of jingoism and warmongering. (laughs) Post 9-11 blues, am I right? (laughs) You're right. Um, I can't say that I look back on that movie fondly still. Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, the underworld chick in it. She looked 
you know, she seemed, she was good in it. Uh, I didn't like the love triangle. I thought that was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Kate Beckinsale. You know, so. I'd rather much, much rather watch Starship Troopers. And I think that's the point that Bennett originally came up with when we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. It's a much better movie when talking about Django. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one needs to see Pearl Harbor. Uh, McKenna over on Patreon said, did you guys see the teaser trailer for the dead ringers remake starring Rachel Weiss? It could be promising, but I love Cronenberg's original same. Also, I saw the last shift when it hit the shelves of the family video I worked at. Wow. I worked at video stores too. I actually remember really liking it for what it was. So I'm looking forward to Malum. Could go either way. Well, I have not seen the original uh, Dead Ringers, uh, but we did add that teaser to our docket after reading your comment. So we'll be talking about it a little bit later in this episode from our uh, Patreon bonus episode into Jennifer's body for the theme of high school horror. Glazed Donut over on Patreon said, Chris and Robert, please do all famous flashbacks while drinking libations. <laughs> Apparently make feed episodes too. <laughs> it's even more amazing. I gave Je- Jennifer's body another watch because I wrote it off for the first time and wanted to give it another go. It's a little better than I remember. It has been a while since I had I was a teenage girl, but I remember the unspoken competitive relationship I had with my best friend, the best friend I grew up with, because the smaller town population didn't allow for more friend options. I do miss those days. Anyways, back to the movie. This movie suffers from casting Megan Fox, who could not match Amanda Seyfried, who had already done projects like Mean Girls and Veronica Mars. I don't think Megan had the range to take on the task of shaping Jennifer to make her likable or memorable. She comes off as kind of cold in all of her roles, so I don't know if she's actually trying to act or if she's just, you know, her personality. Perhaps a more capable and charming young actress could have delivered some of the lines in a way that would have covered up the script's lack of polish. This is not the film I picked, but I'm glad you covered it. I'm becoming more of an Amanda Seyfried fan with each project she does, and watching her carry this movie on her back made me (laughs) like her even more. I hope by the next flashback, life will have settled down for everyone in a good way. It has. No. Maybe not. Not for my glazed donut. <laughs> it's settling. We'll say that. <laughs> I mean, perhaps. Amanda Seyfried, Oscar nominee. Whoever thought we'd be saying that out loud. But here we are. Yeah. You know, the thing that actually kind of put me off of her was that musical that came out that we don't talk about. Mm, yeah. Here we go again. What? Mamma Mia. Here no. I go again. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's in that other musical. You're right. Yeah. Red. No. <laughs> Les Miserables. The one where you're supposed to be like in tears at the death of the police captain. But when Russell Crowe dies, you can audibly hear him as fucking neck crack. <laughs> and then ever, the entire audience just erupts with laughter. And that's not what's supposed to happen in Les Mis. Anyway. I am Jean Valjean. Um... So the more I watched Jennifer's Body, the more I like it. I did not like it the first time I watched it, as we said in that Patreon episode. But, um, you know, by this third watch, I I was digging it. Although I get yeah. the Megan Fox thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's her fault. I no. I think it's portrayal of the direction of the character. Yeah. And well, that and they I, never established her uh, when they t- time jumped from kids to adults. Mm-hmm. They never established her of anything other than a bitch. That's true. She does play a bitch a lot. Yeah, but we're glad that you watched it again. And sorry if we didn't do the one that you voted for, but there's always the next poll. That's right. Keep voting, Glazed Donut. From our high school horror poll, uh, which is in February on Patreon, we got some comments and one was from Nikki and she said, how did I miss this poll? I'm torn. The babysitter is so fun. And so is the sequel. But what I love about Ma is it turns the magical Negro concept on its head. 
It does. And you need to watch it. I voted for Ma. Good. Yeah. I want to watch Ma. From our episode into Suspiria, oh. which I believe is our second episode ever, mm-hmm. McKenna over on Patreon said, working through listening to all of your episodes, and this might be my favorite so far. I love the analysis. Whenever I watch Suspiria, I always double feature it with Possession from 1981. I think they pair so well together. I would love to hear a deep dive of that someday. Thanks for a great episode, guys. Oh, my God. I would love to deep dive into Possession. Like, it's so good. And it was so hard to find for a long time. And now it's finally on Shudder. And it's just a good movie. Yeah. So good. Kudos to you for working your way through that episode because we sound like we're in a jar or something. It's still a really good episode, though. Yeah. Which? I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We got some comments and questions. The first one comes from Jessica E over on Patreon. And she says, hello, film flamers. It's been a while since becoming a patron and having had some time to dive into your recommendations from way back. I had to tell you that the poltergeist and aliens two deep dive episodes were chef's kiss boys. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Robert, I am so sorry to hear about the death in your family. I know how hard that is. And to be adding a significant life step into the process, such as moving my heart goes out to you. Thank you, Jessica. Just remember to be easy on yourself and that you're kind of going through some shit right now. So it's not always going to be fucking begonias, <laughs> but it gets better. Hang in there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I also have alcohol. Slurp. <laughs> Burp. Lol. So Jennifer's body. <laughs> Glad you guys covered this. And you're right about the timing with the craft and Heather's. It seems to just pair perfectly. When this movie came out in 2009, 2010, I was in my traumatized late twenties, still living in denial about a somewhat traumatized childhood. Hadn't yet done a single day of introspective trauma work to try and understand my place in this world as a woman. And so I thoroughly rejected this movie and what it stood for. I hated Megan Fox. I hated movies that focused on the male gaze and thought this was just about as deep as the movie went so i never saw it the funny thing is my intuition at the time was spot on about the marketing i heard another podcast research go into this and they said that apparently diablo cody and the director were going hard on the feminist angle for this movie but the producers and production company wouldn't have it they made them change a ton of stuff in the movie to make it more male gazy and to go hard on sexualizing megan fox Megan Fox, who Megan Fox also confirmed this in interviews. That's when they added in the lesbian kiss and Jennifer lighting her tongue on fire with a lighter and pretty much anything seen as over the top sexual gross since me too. And life kicking a woman in the teeth a bit, I guess you could call it personal growth. This movie just hits different. So I watched it for the first time last year. Don't get me wrong. I didn't love it or think it was brilliant filmmaking, but it was definitely ahead of its time. And I know I saw it through a completely different eyes. Knowing how we as women are so damn sexualized at such a young age is absolutely disgusting to me now. The messaging for many of us elder millennials, younger Gen Xers. I believe we're called geriatric millennials. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Geriatric millennials. (laughs) Is that we are put on this earth to be nothing more than objects for men's amusement. Don't have too many opinions and keep your looks up and your firm body so that the man, men, and your life will continue to tolerate you. Poor Jennifer didn't stand a chance in this movie. I had such empathy watching her in the movie and could relate so much to the character she was playing. I actually cried when she was being sacrificed. It was sad, guys. Probably wasn't supposed to have that reaction, but sadly, I probably wasn't the only woman that had a similar response. Of course, it's just a movie and a silly one at that, but sometimes things just hit you at the right time. That is definitely true. Yep. 
I am glad through the years I managed to find those few female voices that spoke to me, like Alanis Morissette and Pink, and now I'm discovering a whole new era of strong female voices speaking out after Me Too and the cha- and changing the narrative for young women. I love that we are now having conversations like, yeah, we did Monica Lewinsky fucking dirty. Way we did. Dirty. And Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson and Lindsay Lohan. All of them. Sorry for the long ramblings, guys. I'm off on medical leave from my extremely demanding job, and I'm starting to go crazy trying to fill up all the downtime. Happy moving, Robert. As always, looking forward to the Film Flamers next episode. I also just up my membership. It's only fair given how many hours upon hours of extra entertainment y'all are feeding me on the regular, and I wanted to get some merch, too, and we'll definitely take you up on the offer of a sweet, sweet discount. Yeah, and I believe we went back and forth a little bit on trying to get that discount to work. Did we get it to work? We, well, we apparently just don't put much <clears throat> of a margin on top of whatever the price of the goods are. Okay. And so when they put like 10% off, if it's already within 10% of the margin, like the discounts just like error out and don't work. Oh, shit. So I have to like give people dis- different discounts. Cuts. So if you have any problems with the discounts, like reach out to us on Patreon, you know, and uh, let us let us know. And we'll try and get something your way. <laughs> yeah, we can try to make it work. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think she finally did. And she's going to send us a picture with whatever she gets. Good. We'll post that on Instagram if you will let us, Jessica. Um, that was a really thoughtful message. And I really appreciate it when people watch something and say something like it hits at just the right time. Because that has happened to me with lots of movies and horror movies especially. Like Night of the Living Dead came at just the right time in my life. When I was becoming like an actual, you know, gay boy, like being able to tell myself that I was gay. And that movie just like hit me just right. I'm also glad that you mentioned like Alanis Morissette and stuff like that, because that's really my jam. You know what I mean? I love female vocalists, especially really emotional ones. So you can always catch me listening to like Tori Amos or Alanis Morissette. So good. And thank you for all the kind words. So I really, really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Film Prof Bear emailed us. Okay. What did he have to say? said, I freaking love discussions I start to have with myself when I listen to y'all. <laughs> Listening to the Heathers episode, I started thinking that the definition of horror film keeps changing based on one's opinion, but everyone can't be right, right? Is something that is horrific really scary? I lean towards scary because things that are traumatic or disturbing recently are labeled as horror, but if it doesn't scare, I find it hard to support the argument as a horror genre. Hereditary, Midsummer, The Lighthouse, etc. Now, let me say that horror genre has to be based on the audience and the story the film is aimed at. A film like Psycho was for an audience of young adults to middle age and that thing they're invincible and prime of life. But when someone they can relate to is brutally killed by the boy next door, it made the possibility of the recent for the times like Ed Gein recently uh, or the Ed Gein incident go from plausible to possible. And that the thought of living in fear of their neighbors. Your recent discussion of Heathers and the craft are evidence that these films were definitely geared to a specific audience as well, backed by Rachel True's comments. I wasn't scared of these films or even really concerned with the characters, with the exception of the racial bullying issue for Rochelle. Films like A Nightmare on Elm Street, OG of course, reached a younger audience. I was 14 and my older brother took me took me to see it. And the thought that not just something that haunts your nightmares is it really the result of teens dealing with issues their parents created. I'll wrap up with the thought that a film like Get Out wasn't for a black audience, but more for a white audience to see. We as black folks are fully aware of the misappropriation and taking of a culture and its achievements. So when it was categorized in the best comedy or musical of the Golden Globes, the audience, majority white, were reacting to the idea of how absurd the theme was. 
and truth was flipped to satire in their minds. Y'all are most deaf. Welcome to our next family event. Be prepared to laugh so hard you can't breathe. That's how we roll. And we will get our plane tickets now. I think that's a really interesting conversation. I think you made several interesting points, although I do have something stuck in my craw, if that's something people still say. Sure. Scram, Betty. Um, <laughs> about horror, right? I feel like the scare part, uh, that's something like maybe my sister would say. Like, if, she's, if it doesn't scare her, it's not a horror movie. But scare to me is so subjective. Like, I am almost never scared in any movie, right? It's almost like saying something spicy. Like, most of the Northeast is going to be like, oh, you added pepper. It's spicy. Versus down here in Texas, we're going to say, you know, this only has three jalapenos in it. You know, know what I mean? Where's like, the ghost pepper? Yeah. So it's like... Some things are very subjective, like to kids versus adults uh, or just depending on what you're going through. Like we had a lot of conversations about women that were going through pregnancy and stuff. And all of a sudden they they not maybe not scared, but they were just like turned off completely Mm -hmm. and would go into like um, almost panic attack from seeing things like that because they were in such a protection mode from the hormones and everything else that we go through naturally when parenting. And so to me, it's uh, I, I like what you said about. Um, the intent and the the audience is geared for, but I also think it's something about tone, you know, and I and I think it's about intention as well. So I think it's a lot, a little bit more complex, which is why we really, really lean into the concept of horror adjacency. And that's what I was just about to say is that you know here <clears throat> we talk about horror adjacency a lot, and Chris and I are not afraid to call movies that most people would not consider horror horror. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of what we do now, right? But I do find things scary that seem more real life, right? And I do get scared in horror movies a lot. I'm just very easily scared. And I think that's why I started watching horror movies to begin with when I was a kid. I just really enjoyed that, like, feeling. And the older I got and the more I watched movies like Psycho or, you know, Night of the Living Dead, things like that, I realized they had something to say. And um, even movies that most people wouldn't consider to be horror at all, I can find something truly fucking frightening in it. And why not? I'm like, why not make the argument that that's a horror movie? I, I kind of like that that conversation. And there's things like Dolby shocks in every single genre, right? Every that's single true. one takes advantage of that sort of thing. So I almost wonder if scared is more like a canary in the coal mine where, you know, the coal mine could be poisoned, you know, without having a canary in it, you yeah. know. And, of course, you can also have a canary in, you know this analogy is falling apart, but you know what I mean? It's like evidence yes. of something um, that's there versus like an indicator, like a key indicator. And I'm really glad that you sent this email to us. And these are conversations that we'd like to have on shooting the flames. You know what I mean? So keep them coming. Yeah, completely. It's a smoking gun. <laughs> we got an email from Kimberly and she said, proof 3M should market post-its to middle-aged women. If we have any brain cells left, they're probably on fire. So she sent us a picture, right? And it's her desktop with a keyboard monitor. And there's a, <laughs> there's like a, I don't know if it's a DVD or like a book or something that says, calm the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> and then on her, like with uh, amongst several other post-its attached to her monitor, there is our number. So she has written it down and attached it. So, oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. God, I hope we have some voicemails coming up. So she has proven with a picture. Um, however, that's not proof, Kimberly, because I need to tell you that I go through about two stacks of post-its in like a three-week span. 
Because wow. I do all of my fucking notes on post-its and they're all over my fucking desk, like everywhere. Do you get the little tiny ones or the full size? No, they're full size. Like I truly hate trees. So I'm just like, there's just post-its everywhere. Like someone comes in, I like invariably have 15,000 people in my office all day long and they come in and the easiest thing to grab is a post-it. So I have all my individual things that I need to do for individual people on post-its all over my desk. Wow. Yeah. I don't, that has nothing to do with anything, but I, and I guess I'm kind of a middle-aged woman. So maybe you're right. Just use Google keep. You can have checklists, bullet lists, whatever you want. You can mark them off on your phone or to your desktop, wherever you go. It's always there. Kind of like Gmail. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Google keep. <laughs> Downloading. Bennett sent us an email. He said, I had fun watching the Oscars last night, and I have to submit a comment and a question. First, when Jamie Lee Curtis won a much-deserved Oscar, I thought to myself, I know a couple of tired bitches down there in Texas who must be cheering for her. We were. We were. We actually went to the Alma Draft House and watched it in the theater full of people. And when Jamie Lee Curtis said that we had all won an Oscar, that's what I was going to open this episode with. And I forgot that we were going to actually have something to talk about, which was we all have an Oscar now. We do Because she Oscar. offered out her Oscar as an honorary win for all of us who were in the genres. That's right. I was so happy when she was talking about genre lovers. It just made me cry, actually. So second, I remember that this time last year when The Power of the Dog was the front runner for the best picture. And you both mentioned preferring that gay cowboy pick uh, to the first groundbreaking gay cowboy pick Brokeback Mountain. I don't really have a preference since both are fairly different in story and execution. But I'm curious to know your thoughts. Why the latter over the former? Uh, because I was, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I didn't like Brokeback Mountain. Well, Power just, of the Dog has a lot of things going on. Yeah. It's like a fucking onion. There's a lot of shit going on psychologically, thematically, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Brokeback Mountain is simple as milk and there's just not much going on in their heads <laughs> or with anything else. And it's kind of a wet Grinch salad. And it, it, it was kind of like a, a really important kind of seminal segue moment from how gays were treated in cinema before to how they're treated now or should be treated now, maybe. But it still has some of that problematic, you know, you know, they have to keep it on the side mm-hmm. and uh, out of view. And then one of them's dying of AIDS or whatever, where, you know, is beat the shit out of, you know, for being gay and everything else. It was just like gay is the victimhood, you know, like the, the romance is, is them both being victims of each other, you know, and then everything else, they're victims of society. And it was just like, no, stop. It was just it was lot. like a gay movie for straight people, you know, that's exactly what it was. Oh, my God, because I just. I was at my parents' house and my dad came up and he was just like, I watched a really weird movie last night. And I was like, what was it, dad? He was like, Power of the Dog. And I just like looked at him and I was like, weird? Like, are you saying it's weird because it was a gay movie? And he was like, no, of course not. He was just like, I just didn't understand some of the characters. So he talked about it and he actually said, he was just like, I think that I liked it better than Brokeback Mountain though. And I was just like, okay, it seems like you would like this movie better than that one. But Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it actually kind of takes in a more adversarial position to the gay character, right? It's like it actually makes him the adversary for the movie, but he's kind of the moral position, if any, on him is that he has been placed into that position by, you know, everything outside of him and the environment mm-hmm. he has found himself. I mean... Right, so it's kind of like a morality tale of like, you know, don't let this happen to people, you know? I don't know. That's how I got it. Maybe straight people don't get that as much. No, because I feel like he kind of was making similar comments, you know, like he actually had a lot to say about about that character and about that character's past. And he was making like inferences in ways that I think when he saw Brokeback Mountain, he wasn't making about those characters. I felt he was just a little bit more intrigued by it. Right? Yeah. It's and I think 
that's yeah that's exactly it it's, it's, i think that power of the dog is just a much more interesting movie i think it's well made much more well made than broke big mountain even though it has a very talented director behind it yeah i mean mm-hmm. he, if angley gets a really good writer he you know if he doesn't he's style over substance right but if he like you know if he gets really good writing a good story you get things like crouching tiger hidden dragon mm-hmm. you get things like um uh life of pie yeah you know, but other things like Hulk and, you know, you know, whatever the Midnight Cowboy fuckers or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, my God, Chris, I don't know how to quit you. <laughs> it's Midnight a little, it's Cowboy a, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, but it's a PS I think I mentioned before, but isn't it funny how gay cowboy dramas always go into the Oscars as front runners, almost gun runners <laughs> as front runners only to ultimately lose best picture, but still earn best director. That's happened twice. You know, two is a line, not a pattern. Let's have a third one and we'll see. I don't right. know. Is there a third? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but Midnight let's... Cowboy might be one. Did they win? Did Midnight Cowboy win? Best Picture, yes. Uh, but did it win Best Director, but not Best Picture? I can't remember. It won Best Picture. Oh, okay. Well, if it did, then that's definitely not a pattern. I mean, but facts are facts, America. And Crash should have never won Best Picture. Well, Crash isn't about gay cowboys. No, but it's still... It's, I just... I'm still salty. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested, like... Uh, I'd be interested to see how what people of color think of Crash. Yeah. I mean, there's conversations to be had. I just don't think it's a very good movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, Bennett, I hope that answers some of your questions. <laughs> we don't know how to quit you either. Nikki sent us an email and she says, wondering if you've seen them and had any thoughts. Black Box, Felicia Rashad and Mamadou Athi in a horror movie. Yes, please. We'll have to add it to our list. Yeah. Uh, Smile. We did watch Smile, right? We did watch Smile in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater. I thought I saw it. It was me, Penelope, and and Matt then that was all in the theater. I liked Smile. I thought it was good. Creepy and got a couple of yelps out of me. Yeah, that's what she said. Knock at the cabin. This one led me to a great conversation on what we would what we would do in that situation afterwards. And interestingly, one of my friends from high school that I was in drama with is in that movie. What? Yay, McKenna Kerr- Kerrigan. Sweet. That's exciting. We liked that movie, I thought. Yeah, uh, although I did respond to this, and I, I told Nikki, I was like, we we had liked the ending of the book better. We thought it was much more brave. Yes, that, that book is excellent. Nikki, if you haven't read the book, you should read the book. Because Knock at the Cabin, I've only seen two 2023 horror movies so far, and Knock at the Cabin is number one. It'll get knocked down the spot, because if it had ended more bravely and more how I thought the characters it would go, you know, like then, then I think I would have liked it more and rated it more highly. You put that ahead of Scream? Yeah. Mm. Cocaine Bear. Hubby took me and the oldest to see it for my birthday. Was a bit gory for the kiddo, but it was entertaining. Another fun fact, I used to go intertubing, shooting the hooch, as we called it, on Chattahoochee River where the movie was set. We haven't seen that yet. Nope, but we want to. Yes, we do. Barbarian. tubing as well. On the Chattahoochee? No, in Arizona. Did you call it shooting the hooch? No. No, because it wasn't the Chattahoochee. But we brought the hooch. Yes. I honestly used to go intertubing. I've got a flood of nostalgia just camp. Who got the hooch? <laughs> Baby. <laughs> Who got the only... Okay. We should do that this summer. Barbarian. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, but now my hubby is skeptical of Airbnbs. Watch The Rental. 
oh my god then you'll never stay at one again although we have one coming up except that we have several times since then <laughs> except but i, I always put check on, the shower faucet for cameras or and i put on a little bit more of a show when i'm in the shower. <laughs> just in case i'm not checking for cameras i'm just hoping there's one there yeah. <laughs> barbarian's great that's why i always wear a merkin when i'm in an airbnb <laughs> Do you have them in every color? The carpet needs to match the drapes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, my family's getting such a hoot out of your podcast. I spent the weekend in New Orleans with my brothers and a bunch of other family, and you might get a few new followers. Apparently, we have many stories of introducing the next generation to horror movies. Thanks for being awesome, fellas. Thank you for being awesome, and thank your family for being awesome. That's amazing. Right? And I love it when people get a hooch out of us. I mean, a hoot out of us. (laughs) I'm just not going to make it to the end of the set. (laughs) We're never going to make it to the Dead Ringer trailer. Well, speaking of the fam, Film Prof Bear sent us an email. And uh, this is about that discussion about adaption versus adaptation. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says adaption of a film is a retelling of the story, but perhaps with a time period shift or changing the gender of the character, but keeping true to the original film. Most original version may not all work in film, usually because of how long the film would be like Lord of the Rings and therefore have to be adapted or edited for what parts of the original can stay and what can't or rather shouldn't. Nosferatu is an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula because it differs from the original story. The upcoming film Renfield is more of a severe adaptation changing the time period and perspective of the story. The 1992 uh, Dracula is probably the closest to the book, I would agree. Yeah. By the way, 1973 version starring Jack Palance made five-year-old me cry. But not the way you think. When Dracula dies, I started bawling and asking my parents, why did they kill him? They said uh, that I said, and I quote, he was a nice man. <laughs> Rip Jack Palance. Another example I'll give is The Shining, a case of the black guy is the first to die. Dick Halloran, played by Scatman Crothers, of course, in the novel, saves the mother and son. But in the film, this ad- adaptation kills him when he returns to the hotel, not sticking to the novel and therefore being an adaptation instead of an adaption of staying true to the original work. Hope this helps. I yes. swapped those at the end because I think you typoed. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I so feel- adaptation is uh, like a degree of separation from the original story where versus adaption is simply a translation to the screen. I think to save like time, I'm just going to find a third word that has nothing to do or sounds like either one of those two to describe these things. Although I have to say Google is trying to spell correct adaption to adaptation so (laughs) maybe the jury is still out (laughs) um uh, film prof bear we hope that you have listened to our episode on the shining as we talk about those very differences between the movie and the novel and that character specifically so it just pisses me off i love that movie but i hate how it's so different from the book yeah we have some voicemails yes we do Hey, it's Kimberly. <clears throat> um, I do listen to the episodes the whole way through. I just, it never occurs to me to write shit down. Um, so I always go back to the website to find the phone number, and um, it wasn't there because you're redesigning the website. So 
but I wrote it down this time on a sticky note and put it in my monitor next to my work notes and all my other garbage. So uh, it's that important to me. Um, I think you should include, possibly include Chud, the sequel, Chud 2, and Pet Cemetery in your zombie month because I think those are pretty cool. Uh, well, I think Pet Cemetery has pretty cool zombies. Um, I haven't had the privilege of watching Chud 2, but from what I've heard, it's even worse than the first one. So, um, and how the hell have you not watched Cujo? Little baby Danny Pintaro, pre who's the boss, wheezing to death in the car in a Pinto, which is the whole point because Pintos were a piece of shit. Um, um, anyway, yeah, I'm doing well. And I hope you guys are too. And I will talk to you later. Bye. I, I forgot to tell you, I met my new man on Bumble. However, he was a needle in a giant haystack that was on fire. So, you know, patience is a virtue, I guess. Bye. <laughs> oh, trust. You know, the gays are the same, but it's just a needle in a gay stack that's on fire. <laughs> I just joined Bumble. Don't tell me that shit. God. Okay. Yeah, so yes, I need to see Cujo, goddammit. Um, <laughs> and thank you for putting, I, I, in your words, our number next to all your other trash, because it's so important. <laughs> right next to my work notes and my other garbage. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> hey, Kimberly, we also got a postcard from you. I'm going to post that on our socials, okay? It's awesome. <laughs> we also got a uh, voicemail from Ashley. Hey, Chris and Robert, it's Ashley, one of your long-time listeners. I hope you all are doing well. Um, so I have an idea for a horror movie. I don't believe this has ever been uh, created before, so maybe we get on this. But um, recently, like in January, my cat died. Uh, his name was Park Ranger. He was my baby boy. And the way it happened was actually pretty traumatic. It was in my bathroom right in front of me while I was there. And I think he had something like a heart attack. And within 30 seconds, he was gone. And it was very sad. And I was quite depressed. If I'm being honest, I'm still a little bit depressed. I miss him very much. But here's my idea for a horror movie. Since his passing, I keep, like, thinking I hear him or I will get the sense that he's in a room with me. And I know this is definitely the definition of crazy cat lady, but I just think with the way he went, and how it was so traumatic and in our home and very unexpected. This kind of all has the recipe for an amazing novel horror movie. I don't know if he would necessarily be killing me because he definitely loved me, but I don't know. It's like Pet Cemetery, but not, it's like, I don't, honestly, I don't think it's anything out there, but I was just curious your thoughts, your hot take on this potential plot. 
Um, also just dying to get Park Ranger's name out into the podcast universe because he was my baby boy and I miss him every day. Anyway, love you guys. Keep on creating this amazing content that gives me life. And I hope you all have a great, great day. Okay, I have so much to say about this. I'm letting you take the reins. Yeah, okay. So this happened to me in the last two years, and my cat of 20 years died in front of me very, very similar fashion. And about a couple years before that, another cat of mine named Blue uh, died. And for years, I would see him in the corner of my eye or think he was in a room and look. And like it was not a fear thing. It was like, a, oh, that's Blue, you know, or something in turn, and he just wouldn't be there. And that happened with Callie as well. And so, you know, and that was very traumatic to watch one die versus actually like doing the whole like going and put them down and things like that. You think that's going to be traumatic, but not nearly as much as having them die in your arms horribly or violently, which is what kind of happened with mine. So I am so sorry that Park Ranger died in such a fashion, hopefully wasn't sick beforehand and didn't suffer too much. So my heart goes out to you. As far as your story, I feel like um, this kind of reminded me of White Noise a little bit, where it kind of starts out with so many ghost stories and things like that, where the, the chairs start moving or something that's fairly innocent, but really it's malevolence. But in this regard, kind of in White Noise, where you see some things that aren't necessarily malevolent. And so I feel like the beginning of the story could be something like a pet died and is reaching out and is in the, you know, or is hanging around and you see it and it's not malevolent. In fact, it actually turns out might be trying to protect you from something else, right? And so we can maintain that innocence and that love that we have for our pets and in essence, part of our family. And we can maintain that integrity of the story and segue into something else that's darker, right? Similar to that kind of vein. Yeah, I agree. I feel like in that scenario, I feel like Park Ranger would be protecting you from something or trying to warn you from something. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes more sense. It can still be a horror movie, right? Oh, yeah. The thing that Park Ranger is protecting you from is something bad, right? But it's a good a good spirit, a good presence, right? And yes, we are so very sorry to hear about Park Ranger. It's hard. It's hard losing pets. And sometimes people who don't have pets don't understand how difficult it can be. So, Yeah, it does get better. And I'm, I'm sure you know that. You know, over time, I have a shrine <laughs> with three cats he does. that all died within the last five years. And they're all like, I have pictures of them and then I have like the urns and stuff. And so it's like right next to me at my office, which is kind of creeps people out, I think, but they won't tell me. No, I don't think it's creepy. I loved all of your cats. I loved your cats more than some of my family members. So I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> your cats were amazing. <laughs> right. So yeah, but Ashley, we are thinking about you and we hope, we hope that you're doing better. Yeah. We got some new patrons. We did. Uh, Erwin Iskak. I don't know how to say that. Erwan Scott? I don't I don't know. We are so sorry, so sorry. if we're butchering it. Yeah. Uh you know, and so welcome. And Rosie Red Leader joined us at the Film Flamer tier and said, Hi Chris and Robert, so excited to finally be a part of the Patreon crew. I've been listening for a long time on Pandora and wanted to start contributing to do my part to help keep the awesome content coming. I love listening to your deep dives while on long car rides and often find myself yelling out, yes, and what? To many of your comments and anecdotes. Can't wait to turn tune in to 28 Weeks Later Sweet Dreams. Hey, Rosie. We've read some of your comments before on Shooting the Flame, so welcome to the Patreon family. Glad to have you there. Yes, excited to have you. That's right. As well as Erwin. 
That's right. Both y'all, welcome very, very much. We love adding new members to our Patreon family, and we have to shout out our patrons who are the Film Flamer tier or higher, and they are... Kimberly. Ashley. Ben. Glaze Donut. Jessica E. upgraded to Film Flamer. Thank you, Jessica E. Lisa. Penelope. Rosie Red Leader. And Wallstrich. But especially... Jessica. Jessica. And Kimberly. I want to say Kimberly. And Kimberly. We got that big voicemail, too, and although Jessica gave us that long letter... That letter from Jessica was amazing. Yeah. To all y'all, really. Really. And Ashley and <laughs> I mean everyone. Everyone. You guys supply us with such amazing comments and questions and emails and voicemails. And that's why we continue to do shooting the flames. I feel like at this point, we're all about the comments and questions and emails and less about the trailers and the news. So we just like talking about the things that y'all want to talk about. Well, I'm really glad that we do it every month. Yes. Too. Very, very much. Yeah. So I guess that segues us into horror news. (laughs) Do we have to? Because first up in news that nobody wanted to hear, Planet of the Dead, (laughs) Zack Snyder has updated us on his Army of the Dead sequel. It's not happening? No, it's happening. Oh. He's making something called Rebel Moon for Netflix. And then after he's done with that, he's going to start work on Planet of the Dead. Is that with Salam Moon Fry or <laughs> Sherry Moon Zombie? <laughs> no. I don't know what Rebel Moon is. But after seeing Army of the Dead, I don't really care what Zack Snyder has to do. And I certainly don't want to see Planet of the Dead. And that's a stupid title. I don't know. Yeah. There are some fans of that out there. I was just not one of them. But here we are. It's happening, everyone. If you're ready, if you were looking forward to that fucking sequel, he's doing it. He's doing the damn thing. Moving on to greener pastures, uh, Vertigo is going to be an adaption or hopefully not an adaptation <laughs> with Robert Downey Jr. and talks to Star in the remake of the Hitchcock classic. Did I get it right? God, I hope so. I'm still confused. Um, <laughs> I'm slow. Also, I've had some beer. Um <clears throat> I don't know how I feel about this. Like the last time we got an Alfred Hitchcock remake, it was oh horrible, terrible, psycho. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I don't know without that fucking Bernard Bernard Herman score, it's gonna mm-hmm. suck ass. That's right. The Vertigo score is amazing. Although I think they reused the Bernard Herman score for Psycho, right? Parts of it, yeah. I think it was updated. I I feel like Danny Elfman updated it a little bit or something like that. <sighs> okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I love Vertigo. I think it's one of Alfred Hitchcock's, one of his best movies. And I'm like, do we need to remake any of his movies? Just go watch the one that exists. Yeah. Although Robert Jenny Jr. playing that role would be okay, I guess. It's like the one bright thing about this new Sure. Album, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, he's fine wherever yeah. he goes. I mean, I'll watch it, I guess. And finally, in news that everybody wanted to hear, Thanksgiving... 16 years after Grindhouse was premiered, filming has finally begun on Eli Roth's slasher movie. So this is one of those fake trailers. The fake trailers at the beginning of uh, Grind of the Grindhouse double feature, right? right? Planet Terror and um, Death Proof. Death Proof, and which I I love I love that whole thing. Um, but yeah, Thanksgiving is this the one where she's jumping on the trampoline and lands on the fucking like yes. ice pick or knife cut through it? Yeah. <laughs> Like right in the cooch. Oh, <laughs> man. This 
It's going to be great. This makes me want to watch Thanksgiving is what it makes me want to do. Oh, I love Thanksgiving. I almost called it Thanksgiving when I was reading that headline. Right. I was like, that's not it. It's yeah. Thanksgiving. But I am looking forward to this because out of all those fake trailers, like that was the one that I loved the most. And then when they made Machete, I was just like, yeah. why? Why are they making Machete and not Thanksgiving? Did you ever see Machete? I did. I like it. You know, after the fact, I thought Machete was really, really good. The sequel's good too. There's parts of it that are good. Um, I, I love the part where he slashes someone's stomach open and then uses their intestines to rope down the side of a building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's a ridiculous movie and it was a lot of fun. But Thanksgiving just looks amazing. And I love Eli Roth. And I cannot wait to see this fucking movie. Finally. God, I've been waiting 16 years for this shit. Yeah. It better give me such a fucking boner. Coming soon. First up, we've got Nefarious in theaters April 14th. And this is about, a, it looks like a kind of a knockoff of Fallen, maybe? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not really going to recognize any of the actors in this or anyone behind it. Maybe I didn't look. Um, but it, it's a, a prison scenario where he's, I guess, interviewing someone that has uh, on death row that is saying that he's insane to get out of it, I guess. And he's trying to prove that he's demon possessed and uh supernatural wacky hijinks ensue. And it kind of looks like a train wreck, but it really does. I mean, we were watching this trailer together and Chris is like, well, the acting isn't very good. I'm like, no, it's not. And he's like, except for this one character. And then that character starts to really act. And we're like, Oh, just kidding. It's all that. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. We're maybe judging a book by its cover, but you never know. I mean, you you never know, but it, it this doesn't feel like a theatrical movie to me. Like they're releasing this in theaters. Yeah, I don't understand. <clears throat> this seems like a streaming like movie a at best. Bottom of the barrel Netflix release or something, you know? Right. Like I've watched everything else on Netflix and it's like Sunday afternoon at two o'clock and I'm like, fine, I'll watch Nefarious. It doesn't, I think, I feel like I've seen it before. It's not like people also watched, but like that next thing people might have also watched. (laughs) (laughs) People also enjoyed. I'm like, no, they didn't. This is what auto played after everyone watched the good shit. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You wake up after you fell asleep, like in the first thing you watched, you're like, what the fuck is this garbage? Yeah, that's what this is probably. Uh, One of the characters is trying real hard to be Tom Cruise. It's a hangover movie. It is a hangover movie. You're right. God, I drink too much. It's the cinematic equivalent of an airplane novel. I'll probably end up watching it. <laughs> Be like, God, I'm so hungover. Oh, nefarious. I've heard of this. And then I'll have another drink. Yeah. Uh, hey, McKenna, we also watched the Dead Ringers teaser. That's right. And this is out uh, on Amazon, I guess, April 21st. I thought it was already out. It's not out yet. You no, know, it says April 21st and it's an Amazon series. Oh, yeah, it looks, I mean, it's, it's a teaser. It's a teaser. It's very, very short, but it's Rachel Wise playing two different characters, you Mm -hmm. know, a dead ringer for herself. And, uh, an amazing version of heart of glass is playing in the background, which I was intrigued with. (laughs) (laughs) But dead ringers is an excellent, excellent Cronenberg movie. And, just the based on the way that Rachel Weiss was like stylized in the red and whatnot, it looks like they're paying a lot of homage or something like they're really doing, they're making a remake because it looks very similar mm-hmm. and I'm kind of here for it. I'll watch this. Yeah. Uh, we also got a teaser for a movie that is playing at the Overlook film festival, which we will be attending at the end of March. 
and stay tuned for a recap episode in April. Um, and this one is for a movie called The Artifice Girl. Yeah, and this one looks kind of intriguing. Uh, it starts with like policemen interrogating, I guess, like a, a girl's brother, and he they're saying where she is, who she is, and 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 asking about her, and he says she doesn't exist, or she and she's not a person, and kind of alluding that he's saying she's a monster or some demon, or maybe really doesn't exist. I don't know where this is going, but it's fairly intriguing, and we'll just have to see. I think it has something to do with um, like online predators. And um, someone making some sort of like AI or something like that. Like I, I have no idea. Oh. Like based on the trailer or the like teaser, an catfish, catfish. Yes, something like that. It, it has a really, really high Rotten Tomato score, which is why like I'm super excited to see it. Okay. Um, it's not a world premiere, so people have seen it already, okay. obviously. But um, I think it looks intriguing. So. Next up, we've got something called the Five Devils. And I've already forgotten what this was, and we watched the trailer like an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't speak very highly of it. Well, this movie's French. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, and it uh, has a girl who uh, has a very keen sense of smell. And when she smells things, sometimes um, she gets these visions or something of like her parents' past. The girl with all the wrong gifts. The girl... <laughs> Yes. Um, but this is supposed to be really queer. Like, it's played some queer film festivals recently. Also not a world premiere at Overlook, but um, there it's a queer horror film. So I'm How? already down. I didn't get that at all. I think the mom and the sister are, were lovers. So it's lesbian-y. Oh. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Smells and lesbians. I did not get that at all. They go hand in hand. Well, I mean, they don't want to give everything away in the trailer. They didn't even have a title card at the end of it. So they didn't want to give the title away, <laughs> as wow. you recall. Okay. And finally, and some would say most importantly. <laughs> <laughs> Who was we, the biggest shark <laughs> in these trailers? <laughs> we were given the gift, nay, the miracle that is Tommy Wiseau's. <laughs> The big shark. <laughs> and I feel like he's on the poster, but not on the trailer. No one's in the trailer, I don't think, really. I don't even know what the trailer fucking is. It's, it's like stupid. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's like the fucking what was it? The the crop the crop sharks or something. <laughs> that we had like, Stephen King's ago. Sharks of the Corn. Yeah. <laughs> the, the effects look that bad. Stephen Kang. (laughs) (laughs) That trailer looked better than this one. Yes, actually. (laughs) I'm kicking myself for not seeing that movie. It's not too late. Um, So, I don't know. This trailer is mostly just people boxing with each other and then, like, huge superimposed words talking about how visionary Tommy Wiseau is. And then a really horrible-looking shark. CG. (laughs) CG shark, like floating through the French Quarter trying to eat people. (laughs) I mean, here's what scares me the most, right? Is that the centerpiece film at the Overlook Film Festival is a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Can you fucking imagine? I mean, because this film festival is in New Orleans. Oh, my God. The only good thing, though, would be if Tommy Wiseau showed up to talk about yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, guys. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. 
I didn't do it. I didn't make this movie. Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if it's not the secret screening, I'm going to be sad. I don't know. For any of you that aren't aware who this is, Tommy Wiseau did The Room, which was also uh, created into a uh, Oscar-nominated James Franco movie before he was canceled called The Artist or something. Something Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist, yeah. Yeah. So that's what this is. Yeah. And go watch The Room, I guess, but watch it with the riff tracks. Yeah, the riff tracks are amazing. (laughs) And then when The Big Shark comes out, and what an amazing title. (laughs) <laughs> the big shark the big shark <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> well I think that just about wraps up uh, April shooting the flames as always we would like to thank you for all the comments and questions and emails if you would like to leave us some on social media you can do so at the film flamers on twitter facebook or instagram you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733 i'm gonna jump your big shark <laughs> i'm just trying to think of a big shark thing too my that's a big shark <laughs> Donna. <laughs> Donna. Ah. <laughs> anyway stay tuned for this month because we are going to dive into trauma that's not trauma trauma we may cause some trauma yes <laughs> with our trauma with i believe newcomb high <laughs> as well as the toxic adventure i'm really looking forward to this actually and this is our comedy month traditionally yeah our april fools theme and perhaps over on patreon you might find some other trauma movies to choose from in a poll if you would like to vote in that and make your voice heard and join the patreon family you can head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers and do so for as little as two dollars a month that's right well robert i think it's time that i retired to your chambers <laughs> the artifice <laughs> did the artifice go <laughs> chambers I don't know <laughs> attend me stop being such an artifice girl <laughs> attend me <laughs> you'll throw open your chamber door and scream for the governess well what's the status of use the chamber pop <laughs> alright well you can go do that and then maybe you can have some sweet dreams. Chamber pot. Owen Chamber Pot. I should have said something about the butt fucking cowboys of midnight or something. <laughs> <laughs> midnight cowboy fuckers. <laughs> midnight cowboy butt fuckers. <laughs> it's like Tommy Wiseau's version. <laughs>